My name is Scott Jones. My definition of relentless is being relentless with the pursuit of your own well-being and self-care while doing so with uh, self-compassion and making sure that you are putting yourself first, uh, that it's not selfish so that you can then care for those around you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. This is Kyle Dubay, your host. And today's guest uh, has become a really good friend of mine in the last year and a half. We've spent a whole bunch of time together. Superintendent from the Edmonton Police Service, or at the time of this interview, Superintendent from the Edmonton Police Service, Mr. Scott Jones. Welcome to the Relentless Podcast. Thank you so much. Very honored to be here. It's good to have you, man. We've been talking about you coming on here for a while. Uh-huh. We've spent a little bit. Of, are you? Is that how you're going to answer all my things? You're going to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, one word <laughs> answers the whole time because you gave me shit yesterday about talking too fast. So I'm just going to go yes. So you better come up with some I really good game. I didn't give you trouble. I just said it. I might interrupt a couple times and say slow down and explain what you're talking about because you get very excited. I do. I get excited. About uh, it's warm in here today, Scott. It is, and I will start sweating for sure. And you're fit. Just imagine what this chubby guy's going to mm-hmm. do. Like puddles on the puddles floor, on next the floor. To yeah. and uh for those watching i will apologize again i do tend to bring some people on here with the same haircut as me uh-huh. and uh there is a little glare on the old youtube if you're watching on youtube but uh just watch it with sunglasses there's not a lot of pretty in this room right there's now. there's no there is <laughs> not that is not how we would describe no. what is happening right now but we're gonna hopefully get into some pretty cool stuff yes that's what I want to do with you, Scott. So Scott and I, just so everyone knows, Scott and I met uh, probably a year and a half ago. Scott has been with the Edmonton Police Service for 30 years. Uh-huh. And September 1st, 2023 is your last day. It sure is. You are retiring. Yep. It's exciting. It is. It's very exciting. It's uh, it's time. It's been uh, such a great ride. And well, I'm sure we'll get into some details here, but yeah. I have had a great career. I wouldn't change a single step. But it's time for it to be done. 30 years is a long time. You are a superintendent right now. We're going to talk uh, briefly here how you got there. You became a police officer when you were in your early 20s. 21. 21 years old. And let me ask you this. Why did you want to become a cop? Uh, well, I come from a police family. My okay. father was a police officer with Edmonton. And we actually crossed over uh, for a number of years before okay. he retired. Uh, I really had no other aspirations. My backup plan was maybe being a teacher because I've always liked teaching, which again, I think we'll probably get into here later on. Yeah. Uh, but it was a, it was one of those, it was a dream. It was a calling. Sounds cliche, but it's, it's true. Uh, I can't imagine doing anything else. And uh, over the course of the 30 years, it ex- more than exceeded any expectations I had. I loved my job. Do you remember being a recruit? I sure do. Yeah. What was that like? Uh we were a little bit in the college days, so it's a little uh, more militaristic or paramilitary, a little harsher uh, since then, and I was subsequently in recruit training unit. Uh, so it was a little lackadaisical. It wasn't quite as like having to have such a fine point on everything. Okay. But very quickly of the, I think we had 25 people in my class, I've maintained friendships with probably five or 10 like that are close, close friends yeah. uh, over the course of the three Yeah, years. it's a real bonding time, I think. It bet, is, eh? yeah. Yeah. When you first become a police officer, you go on to patrol. Yes. What's that like your first couple shifts, your first uh, maybe even couple months? Like it's got to be pretty intimidating or, or um, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm a simple dude. You know that. Like, is it, like scary. It's got to be scary. It's got to be a little unnerving. It's all of those things. It's exciting. It's scary. It's unnerving. Uh, you are having to go, I have a gun on my hip and somebody taught me how I'm supposed to use it if right. I need to in a deadly force encounter. Right. 
Uh, I'm 21 years old and I remember going to a family fight and it's two people who are probably in their 50s and there's no violence involved, but it's the second or third time we've been there. And I'm literally telling people, okay, enough of this, time to go to bed. Uh, we're not coming back here. And then I'm thinking for a second, why is anybody listening to this baby-faced right. idiot telling these 50-somethings what to do with their life? Well, it's like telling parents or older neighbors or, yeah. you know, I, I, I think of my oldest boy who's 21 right now. I can't see him in a police uniform uh-huh. doing that. Making, you know. yeah, making decisions. And it's such a wide-ranging job because you have to be compassionate. You have to be going to these calls and caring about the people you're dealing with. And that I'm talking about the entire spectrum, whether it's accused person or the complainant, you have to be able to make a decision to use lethal force and everything in between. Like it's such a wide ranging job description. Right. And in such a short period of time, it was 16 weeks of training when I was there. I think it's 20 something now. You are maybe taking people who have never been in a fight, never been in a room with an angry person and having to make sure that they are prepared for Treating people with compassion and kindness all the way up to using lethal force. Right. It's pretty intense when you think about it, you know. And as you know, because uh, the reason Scott and I know each other is because you can use services, who I work for. Um, We have an incredibly strong partnership with Edmonton Police Service. And I think what, you know, if you don't mind me talking about this a little bit, Scott. um, It's your podcast. You can literally talk about anything I want. we, I, I don't think a lot of people know in the community how much EPS, and I would suggest police organizations across the world and actually do in their community and some of the different things that they actually fund where they take their money that they're given and then they give it to different community things and initiatives. And that's where we're connected yep. is that um, EPS actually pays for two full-time youth workers to work in you can use services and we will take referrals from the Edmonton police to work with some of the most vulnerable young people in this community and it's really hard work yeah it's really tough work we work hand in hand with the Edmonton police with the constables that are part of that youth unit some incredible and we didn't bring the stats because it's not about that today but some incredible things are happening in the last three years within that program so that's how we know one another yeah um we met that way, and you've been a strong advocate for us within your organization, and I appreciate that very much. But that's one thing that I think is so cool about the police that a lot of people don't know about. Yep. And we're not going to get into the whole let's defund the police and all that stuff that's been going on. I mean, we could if you if you want, but I, I, I've always looked at it, and I thought, okay, if people really knew what the police do for the community at a, at, a, at a better level, and I've said this to you, I've said this to the chief, I've said this to everybody, yep. the police are not good at, you know, blowing their own horn. No, we're terrible at it. You're terrible at yep. it. Because it would be cool if people understood that, that we are one of many organizations that you work with in the community trying to help vulnerable people and yep. trying to lessen crime within our community really is what we're trying to do. Yep. I think the future of policing is these types of partnerships with UCAN, with Bantero, with Boyle Street, Mustard Seed, et cetera. Like there's a whole number of uh, agencies within here because the police can't be all things, all people. Mm-hmm. And you and your folks have an expertise my folks don't have, nor mm-hmm. should my folks have, mm-hmm. right? So why, when it gets to a certain stage of going, okay, I don't know what to do with this kid about whether it's employment or education or whatever, that we have that partnership, that we hand this kiddo over to you and your mm-hmm. people, and then they take that 
ball and run with it. I, I think it's important too that people understand that we as an as an agency, like we're all kumbaya, lovey dovey. We want everyone to get along and be happy and hugs and kisses and lollipops. And but we are very aware of the fact that many of the young people we work with, it's not about that. Nope. They come from some really tough places, and they are some very tough young people. Mm-hmm. And actually, we're looking at doing one, an episode in the future where we really dig into that a little bit so that people can understand more of the work that we do. But one thing that I love about working with the police is at the end of the day, especially with the young people we work with, there's a lot of suppression that goes on. And maybe explain what that term means, yeah. suppression. So it comes down to... We have a kiddo, and for sure, they come back, uh, come with such tremendous trauma in their life, adverse childhood experience, which could include physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, parents who are incarcerated, uh, substance abuse in the home, substance abuse with the kiddo. So they're coming with that in their nervous systems already. So then, uh, and oftentimes, they probably have not seen the police in a positive light, because anytime the police have been there, it's been to remove maybe a family member or quell some violence that's going on or what have you. So the suppression ends up being really kind of in a simplistic form is, hey, we have these opportunities with UCAN. We want you to get employment. We want you to stop causing harm, robbing people, using weapons, etc. Here's an opportunity. If you don't want to do that and you want to keep going down the uh, violence route, well, then we're going to have to arrest you and we're going to put you into the justice system mm-hmm. to deal with that. So there has to be an accountability and a consequence to it. Mm-hmm. But it, especially with youth, as much as possible, trying to filter them over or guide them over to, again, partner agencies that can, what is the root cause of why they're acting out, right? Nobody, I don't sets out to be, I want to rob people and cause harm and hurt people. There's maybe a small percentage of that. Small percentage, yeah. But the vast majority want to live a good, meaningful life. Sure. So let's give them- Or they want to at least try to get to, they want to figure out how to do that. Yeah, they don't know how. Because they don't know how. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the percentages, but let's call it, 90% 90% of the young people we work with are a product of their environment. It's, yeah. it's, it's where they Probably come from. Probably even higher, yeah. Probably higher. And you, we see it every day. You guys see it every day where this is a generational thing, right? I mean, you look at mom and dad, you look at grandma yep. and grandpa often. Um, they've been involved in the criminal justice system in some way. Yep. What I love about our partnership, uh, and then we can move on from that though, is, is <clears throat> we fully understand the need for suppression at times. Uh-huh. And you folks fully understand the need for non-suppression and our, our relentless relationship building with these young people. Yep. And sometimes we do have to, we bump heads a little bit on it, but the beauty of the, the relationship is we can get through that and we can have those conversations. And that is what I love about this is that it's a real balance because at the end of the day, we are fully understanding um, that these young people sometimes are not interested in working with us. Yep. And if that means that they're going to continue their criminal behavior, then that means that they will end up getting arrested. And our job is to try to lessen that. Yep. And what we love about working with you guys is that you really want us to lessen that, which I think is great. And the just because someone get arrested doesn't mean they're now cast aside and we don't talk to them anymore. That's right. Right? It was like, hey, we told you this was going to happen. This is what happened now. Let's and maybe they're incarcerated in EYLC, Edmonton Young Offender Center. Maybe now we approach them with a youth worker and a police officer to go, okay, so this happened. Now, how do we get you back on track so we can keep? And again, it's all about reducing harm to the community, reducing harm to that young person. Yeah, no, I think it's amazing, and I, I really do believe that the work we're doing together is saving lives. Totally I agree. Do. Because yep. every young person that we get referred from Edmonton Police Services. They have a they they are involved in the justice system. Uh-huh. 
And so they are, they've already been arrested. And yep. some of them have been arrested 100 times. Yep. And we are really seeing a decrease in a lot of the occurrences and a lot of the different uh, offenses that they're being charged with. Um, the numbers are astounding, to be yep. honest with you. And, and we take a lot of pride in that. I know you guys do too. Yep. So. so it's been a great partnership. Very quickly, let's go through your career so that people get a, 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 an understanding of the scope of all the work that you've done. And we don't need to go hardcore into every single yep. aspect of it. Um, but you started on patrol. Yep, in North Division at the time, in 93. Okay. Yep. Uh, spent five years there. And that's where you really kind of, or I got a foundation of policing, like what each call is, how to deal with pretty much everything. And in about five years, you've done, you, you think you know everything and you don't. But you've kind of got a fairly good foundation. And North Division back then, it was a very busy place. I went downtown and I worked patrol for a year in downtown division. Uh, and then I was very fortunate to get a position in Beat. So I got to walk uh, Beat downtown hmm. uh, and rode a bike. Best job ever. Yeah. Walking in the winter, riding a bike in the summer. It was fantastic. And I, there was a really good way to develop communication skills because you were talking to people every single day all day long because you don't have that steel wall around you of the car you were on foot in person so talking to hundreds of people a day it was fantastic and you're kind of like being the sheriff of your own town mm. uh, from there i uh, got a career goal checked off i uh, went to recruit training unit where i taught control tactics and uh, so how to take control of subjects uh, right from the lowest end all the way up to uh, lethal force I was a firearms instructor at the same time as well. And it was kind of cool because at that time we brought in a program called Guided Imagery where we had a script, we got training on it, and it was like a relaxation script. And then we would write out uh, whatever the task was going to be. Let's say pepper spray day where recruits are going to get pepper sprayed. And we would really do a visualization of that. And then they would go through it. But the benefit of that, just like in sports, sports psychology, etc., is once you've practiced it a number of times in your mind, it's like you've already done it once it gets to game time. Right. Uh, from there, went to South Division Patrol briefly. Uh, then I went to, I got seconded to, uh, it was called Internal Affairs back then, but it's professional standards. So police uh, investigating co uh, complaints against the police. Yeah. Uh, so very high volume, high, mm, a lot of confrontation because the citizen doesn't necessarily trust that you're doing a good job because you're the police investigating the police. The police officer doesn't necessarily trust you because you're the police investigating the police. Uh, so it's it was it's a tough spot. To it was a tough spot, but I yeah. I really learn investigative skills in there because the files are scrutinized more than any other file I ever had. Uh, I got promoted during that time in there. Then I left uh, professional standards after a couple of years. I went another career goal uh, objective was to be a patrol sergeant. So I went back to patrol as a sergeant in downtown division, around a squad of twelve or thirteen folks. And those of you who are supervisors know that you are their boss and mom and dad and preacher and all the things. Mm -hmm. uh, Counselor. All that, yeah. Friend, but you had someone who's yep. a boot him in the ass. Yeah, but then managing like high-risk calls. Uh, are your, is your staff okay? Are they needing employee assistance? Like all the things, what's yeah. going on in their lives. So again, really, really meaningful work. Uh, from there, I went to, if I had to pick a favorite place, it'd be this one, but not by a lot, uh, Homicide. Mm. So I did four and a half years in Homicide. Again, as, as a detective. As a detective, yeah. yeah. So tremendously meaningful work, tremendously difficult work. Yeah. Um, this is where my, and I've been married for the entirety, well, I've been police officer for 30, married for 28, but my wife and I have been together since we were 16. Okay. So this is where she really picked up, had to pick up all the slack because 
you're on call every third week, but if a homicide happens, you're on call right now because you've got to backfill those teams. So there's not a lot of reliability to your schedule mm. and the phone rings and you're gone for three or four days. Right. It was like being a traveling salesman. I right. just got picked up the phone and away I went. During that time also, I got involved with the Victims of Homicide Support Society. And it's a wonderful organization that deals with uh, folks uh, who are the family members, survivors of the homicide victim, and it guides them through the chronic. So it takes them through potentially years of uh, whether the file is solved or not, whether it goes to court or not, mm. and just their journey to healing and wellness. Mm. So I became actively involved in that. Uh, during Pretty that time. intense, I'm sure. Very intense. There's times, mm. and my brother had been there already, uh, who has since he's since retired from EPS as well. Um, and it was at the start when we went, they were not fans of the police either. They had a lot of difficulties getting communications back from the detectives or staff sergeants. So there was a bit of an acrimonious relationship. So we just attended meetings, kind of got yelled at a bit, which is all good. You can yell at me all you want. Sure. Uh, and then built that relationship. And then I, as I went through my homicide time, I would bring families there. Like I'd kind of shepherd them to this group so that they could help with that wellness journey. So yeah. again, very meaningful. Uh, from there, got an opportunity to be the acting and then subsequently promoted to staff sergeant in Zebra Center and child protection section. Oh, Another light load. Uh, yeah. Cause what, cause explain to people what that is. So uh, child protection obviously deals with the um, sexual and physical abuse of children up to the age of 16. I, I just, I couldn't even do Huge that. Huge volume of work. Huge trauma-soaked environment. Mm. Uh, another area with, is like a hub with partners. So there's Zebra has their own staff. EPS has staff there. Uh, very tight relationship with the Stollery. Mm. Uh, RCMP subsequently came on, Children's Services. And what was cool was as a file would come in every Monday, it was almost like, this is how I picture it because I'm super visual. There's a hologram of the kiddo in the center and each of the respective organizations are doing their part to make sure the kiddo is looked after. So there's no get rid of your ego other than my, uh, EPS will investigate this file XYZ. Client focused wraparound. 100%. Yeah. Uh, so from there, I got promoted to inspector, but I got to back up a little bit because uh, while all that is going on, I was on the police association uh, for six years. So I was on the uh, union essentially. Uh, and then I was also during that time, a crisis negotiator, uh, two different stints doing that. So I was on call pretty much from, <coughs> excuse me, 2006 uh, to about 2021. So the reason I talk about it in this way is I'm starting to burn myself out and I don't know that that's happening. Cause you're, you're doing a lot. Yes. Like that's a lot of different, you know, and I mean, I know that, that I know a lot of police officers and they do want to go into different areas of policing because one, it keeps it fresh. Yeah. You're learning things. It's career building, all those types of things. But then there's some officers uh, that are completely fine doing patrol for their entire careers. Yep. Right. But you and you're doing some intense work. I mean, even, even just homicide alone is intense, but then you go into the child protection stuff, which again is intense. Yeah. I, 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 I don't understand, but I'm hearing you say like you were burning out without even knowing you were burning out. I lit the fuse of burnout, I think, at that point. Right. Uh, so I got went from another, I pretty much stayed in other than homicide for four and a half in my first five years in Northeast. I was about two to three and then I move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Just there's so many different opportunities and different things to do. And I like, mm -hmm. I get bored easy. Mm -hmm. So from child protection, I went to uh, HR. I got promoted to inspector. 
zero HR background other than having been on the association. So I was there when some of the sections of the collective agreement had been written. Okay. So the steepest learning curve I ever had. Like I was just yeah. uh, useless for three months. I didn't know the answers to anything. It would take me hours to get an answer back to people. Like very stressful uh, because I didn't know anything. Right. And HR is probably most people know. No one's coming in there going, you know what? I love my job. Here's some cake. Yeah. Yeah, right like it's always very confrontational very yeah. emotional people are going based. through and people are going through what like their world is crashing all around them right or that's what their perception is and their perception is reality yeah so i did that for two and change uh and at that point i thought well i think i'm just going to go to north division it's northeast now and i'll call it like i think i'll go there kind of a cool full circle sure. i've ended up where i've ended up and then that's enough I, i'm done so yeah. that was uh 2021 or so uh go to north and then i started hanging around with the young members again and seeing the just such great work that they do such compassionate work and such difficult work um i got to hand out awards of merit constantly for the amazing compassionate things that these folks did and i kind of filled my cup i got my energy back a little bit yeah my boss got transferred somewhere else i'm a contrarian i don't really like working for people so i thought well i'll put in for superintendent and if it goes it goes and if it doesn't it's all good so I put in, was successful, uh, got put into social policing. So another area I didn't know anything about that had our human-centered engagement liaison partnership, help unit, police and crisis team packed, um, uh, document service. So I did that for about six or eight months. Then I got moved over into integrated community safety where I'm at now. Uh, and I've been there. Where you and I met. Yeah, where yeah. you and I met. So yeah. that's kind of the career in a really quick, Nutshell. And if we just because I find this interesting, like uh, just very very quickly, uh, the, the the rankings here. Yeah. So you go from constable. Yeah. Constable to detective. Detective. Detective and sergeant are the same rank, different okay. responsibilities. Okay. So a detective in PSB professional standards. Yeah. Then to a sergeant in patrol. Okay. Then detective in homicide. Yep. And then staff sergeant in child protection. Okay. Inspector is in. staff sergeant. That's higher ranking than sergeant. Correct. Okay. Staff sergeant. Yeah. So when then the next level up is inspector. Yes. Okay. Then superintendent. Then superintendent. Then deputy chief. Deputy chief. Then, then chief. chief. Okay. So the math is right now there's only seven people in the organization that I'd have to listen to. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice. How many? Like three thousand people. That's pretty good. Yeah. Not pretty, bad. How many police officers are in Edmonton? Uh, I think there's about eighteen hundred. Eighteen hundred. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um. I just asked because you guys don't have captains. And I, like yep. when I watch my, my TV, my crime TV show, mm-hmm. Scott, so I was like, uh, captain wants to see you. So Yeah, I don't know what the equivalent is. Well, I think that'd be cool. Yeah. Like, you can call me captain if you I want. Can I call you captain? Sure. Captain Scotty. Yeah, captain Scotty too hotty. Uh-huh. Sorry to interrupt the Relentless Podcast, everybody, although this is a very good message. We want you to go and check out our Relentless merchandise store. That's right. We have launched a merchandise store for all of our relentless garb. We've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got crew necks, we've got hats, we've got toques, and we're going to be coming out with some more merchandise in the very near future. So please, www.ucan.ca, that's Y-O-U-C-A-N.ca. When you get to the website, you look up to the top right corner, I think it says buy our merch Hit that button, boom, it'll take you there. We really want you to wear our stuff. One, because every dollar raised goes directly into our programming for the young people we work with. And two, because it's a conversation starter for you. 
When you wear it, people are going to go, what's relentless? You can then brag about how you support an incredibly good organization helping young people. And then you can talk about how you are relentless in your life. That's what we want. We don't want us to just be relentless. We want you to be relentless too. Thanks for your support, and we appreciate you helping us out. Now, back to the show. Okay, that's your career. Now, very interesting to me that you have used the word trauma at least five times in our conversation so uh-huh. far. Um, let's talk about trauma. And before we get going, anybody who's dealt with some major trauma in their lives, it's just a heads up. This is a warning. We're going to talk about a few things. We're not going to go into crazy details. No. Because as you call it, Scott, um, tr- trauma sliming. Yeah, and that's from uh, the Tend Academy, Francoise Mathieu uh, from Tend Academy. That's where I first learned that. Okay. Uh, and I think that's a really great descriptor of what oftentimes we do in these spaces. Okay. Yeah. Which we don't want to do. No, we're not going to. Um, but all that being said, I want you to, you and I talked, we've talked about it before. We talked about it a little bit yesterday in our pre-pod interview, uh-huh. uh, I like to call it. And we, we may not have the exact numbers here, but we're just going to, and maybe you do, I don't know. But you told me or your brother told me, because your brother is like the king of stats and yep. uh, research. Shout out to Danny, Danny Jones. Um, who you and him have a podcast. We do, Just Us on Justice and Other Things. Which I should have said in the beginning in the intro, but I'm okay. terrible at introductions. So check out their podcast. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. And you've been on it. I've been on it. Yes. Um, and... The average person will say civilian. So the, a person like me will go, will have like five. I think it's two to three. I checked in with him yesterday after okay. we talked. So let's call it three. Let's call it three uh, traumatic events. Okay. And a first responder. And I don't know if this is first responder in like the broad sense of fire, EMS, police, or just police. I'm not sure what the, okay. but it's 3,000. So on average in my lifetime, I would have three. Yeah. And we'll, we'll say police. Sure. Okay, because you're yeah. a policeman. Um, would have about 3,000. Yeah. Now, when we're saying this, <coughs> what does that mean? What, give me the definition of what that trauma is. I think at times we don't honor what we think is a small, small T trauma. Like we talked about yesterday, uh, I think the EPS goes to about 8,500 uh, domestic violence incidents a year. Hmm. Uh, it used to be called family fights when I started family disputes, uh, intimate partner violence. So there's a number of ways to describe it. And if you think about going to one of those as a 21-year-old, and I don't know anything about anything, Mm -hmm. and I am now dealing with a uh, cohabitating couple who maybe they're just arguing, but it's enough that the police got called, or maybe one has perpetuated tremendous violence on the other one. And that's probably not even, like, and we can talk about it later, as I've gone through therapy and starting to get myself regulated again, that's not what comes up. But I can guarantee you the hundreds or thousands of calls I've been to where those types of occurrences happen has impacted my nervous system and will impact the nervous systems of first responders. And that one I can broaden out to police, fire, EMS, sure. uh, corrections, sure. etc. So, and we're going to get deeper into this around the nervous system and yeah. the, the, the being unregulated and regulated yeah. later on. But I, I, I think what's important to talk about here and when it comes to first responders, police in particular, because you are with the police, is that <coughs> y- you have 
had have had thousands of traumatic experiences in your life because yes. of the line of work that you are Yes. That you do. And I was not prepared for any of it, despite coming from a police family, because this was not talked about back then. It was certainly not talked about in my dad's day. Um, and I wasn't prepared for that going through this career. And we'll get again a little bit deeper later, but the because I'm so visual, I visualize, visualize it as a trauma trunk. So I have a trunk buried at the bottom of the ocean that I've been stuffing traumas into, in my mm -hmm. life, in policing, in my career, etc. Yeah. And then I put a lock on it. And then I hope for the best and hope that lock stays. Yeah. What I saw with my dad retiring and some of his cohort of friends retiring is 20 years after retiring, they would suddenly get flooded with the imagery of a collision they went to in 1973 of a fatal and would be bawling their faces off. Right. So let's, let, let's and again, not to, tr to trauma slide. Yeah, I won't, I'm not going to tell stories. No, 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 yeah. no, no. You know, no. I'm okay if you tell a few stories, but not trauma slide and not to diminish or belittle anything that average people like me have gone through. Some people might go, no, I've had more than three traumatic experiences in my life. And they have. For sure. Um, because someone who grew up in a, in a domestic violence home yep. has had more than three. Um, and we could list a thousand other things that people have gone through. Yep. But we're just saying the average person. Um, I'm going to use it as, uh, <coughs> and again, not the trauma slime, but like the extreme trauma of seeing a dead person. Yep. That's very traumatizing. Yep. And I, we talked yesterday, and I'm not going to go into great detail about it, but um, I, I, I don't do that. I don't do the 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 viewing at a funeral. I don't because I I just don't. Yep. Um, I I find it traumatizing. Yep. And as you know, and as many of the listeners know, as, uh, you know, I've had a very traumatic experience in, in the last couple of years here in my life. And you, as a police officer, you know, it was interesting yesterday when we were talking because I automatically went to the homicide department. Yep whenever you were part of that. And you said, actually, there was, there's just way more collectively with all the other work that you did yep. with the accidents. And, and if someone dies suddenly, you're all there. Mm -hmm. That's the type of trauma that I'm talking about that I don't think we stop as a, as a society and think, man, cops, uh, firefighters, uh, EMTs, uh, all these folks, they see this daily, yep. daily. Yep. And it's, it does have to... Like you said, you just stuff it all into this trunk and it just becomes, I'm going to say normal, although it's not normal. It's not normal. You still have to figure out a way to, like the sudden deaths and collisions I went to as a young person, uh, and not, I'm going to, this is a generalization. I remember them more clearly because I don't think I had anything to compare them to right. than as I went through and then it was not the, I don't know this there were certain ones that really stuck out, mm -hmm. but then the other ones were kind of, they were just the regular as things went. Yeah. But it, what's interesting too is sometimes things bother you and you don't really know why. And sometimes things don't bother you and you really don't know why. And then mm -hmm. you start to question, well, what is wrong with me that right. this particular instance, like uh, I won't go into details, but as a homicide detective, I had a file where it was a murdered baby mm. and myself and my uh, two IC uh, were unaffected. What's, what's uh, so, uh, In charge. He was okay. second in charge. So I was the primary investigator. He was file coordinator. Okay. So we're running the file as one and two. Okay. Uh, and him and I were largely unaffected by this. People all around us, police officers, uh, 
social workers who were dealing with the other kids in the family, medical personnel, people at the ME's office, medical examiner's office, were kind of falling all around us from the vicarious trauma of sure. this. So then you start to go, well, sorry to swear, but what the fuck is wrong with me that right. this isn't bothering me? And right. it doesn't, didn't, and it hasn't. So that just is what it is, and the why doesn't matter, as I've come to know through therapy. Right. That one didn't stick. But it's, it's so interesting to me because like the, uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, all those things that, that you've been through in your career, and, and we're going to get into how people that aren't in your line of work go through this stuff as well. Um, it really depends on the individual. Yep. You know, and I, what, the, what I can do, correlate anything to this is around <coughs> grief. Yep. And how it's different for every single person, right? So similar to you, this is different for every single person. Yeah. But then what you realized uh, as you grew into your career and, and whatnot is that you were unregulated. Yeah. Explain that. Let's get into that part. Let's get into the wellness piece, which I'm excited to talk to you about because it's it's not just for police and first responders. We're going to talk about this for everybody. Yep. Talk to us about kind of what that, that turning point was for you and then what you started doing about it. So uh, I've always been pretty good about uh, focusing on fitness, mm. not so much wellness. And what I mean by that is I lifted weights when I was younger and I ate creatine and I moved heavy weights and all that. Uh, but it was always like, okay, in case I get into a fight, I got to make sure I'm strong. Mm. Uh, and then I started running about 10 years in and I like running once or twice a week and I'm an old tractor, so I don't, running is barely the right term. But again, it was more fitness, not wellness. There was a component. And when I've said this before, people are like, well, lifting weights really helps me. I'm not saying that that's not good. For me, I wasn't doing it with the intention necessarily of wellness. You were focused on the physical, yes. not the mental and the emotional. Correct. So about... 12 years ago, uh, I hurt my back, very innocuous, lifted something, whatever. And my wife had already been doing yoga for about eight years. So she kind of cajoled me uh, into coming to a class with her. And I went to the first class and I was like, oh yeah, whatever. I uh, went through it. Although a bit of a story here, as I'm sitting there and got my legs crossed, whatever, I'm apparently swearing. I had no, my wife's looking at me. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm doing yoga. You can't swear in here. I'm like, I'm not swearing. She's like, yes, you say fuck every time you turn. Stop it. Oh, sorry. Can I say that I'm so proud of you that you've only dropped two F-bombs so far because I swear a ton. I think you swear way more than me. And you are doing very well, Thank Scott. Thank you. I'm doing really very well. Very well. <coughs> I'm being very... So I could see your wife doing... What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. You're a swearer. Yeah. So I start going to yoga once a week. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Six months in, I'm in the car in the driver's seat and I go to look out the back window and I say to my wife, and I'm like, I can see out the back window. She's like, what are you talking about? Like, I can turn my body and look out the back window. I couldn't do that before. So in a very short window of time, I start to go, huh, this is actually making a difference. Huh. So I start keep doing yoga once a week. Again, very physical, has nothing to do with emotional, mental, spiritual. That's not what I'm getting into. I'm just doing it, again, for the movement part of it. About seven years ago, I read a book called What Doesn't Kill Us by Scott Carney. And Which you've sent to me. Yeah. Yeah. I've listened. I've listened because I do some of it. Very interesting. Very stuff. interesting. So yeah. it's written with the goal of showing that Wim Hof, who's the kind of the subject of the uh, book, is a bit of a madman and uh, his breathing and his cold exposure techniques are actually not valid. Subsequently, uh, the book kind of shows there actually is a scientific basis behind the breathing technique. And it is a breathing technique that is, uh, has yoga, uh, whatever roots yeah. and most of these things that we're talking about here are 
ancient techniques okay. uh, from India or indigenous uh, people have been doing this forever and ever. Yeah. And now people are like, like we've invented it. Yeah. We have not invented it. Right. It's been in, all in practice. But the cold exposure starts to interest me as just another way to kind of challenge my nervous system. So again, not doing it every day or not going all in, but just ha either getting into a cold water, cold lake or a cold tub, uh, again, starts to kind of impact my nervous system. Okay, so okay, we're going to stop right here. Okay. Explain the, the, why you need this to impact your nervous system. What's wrong with your nervous system right now, Scott? And I'm talking yeah. three, four years ago or whatever it was. <coughs> so my nervous system, when I'm dysregulated, will be demonstrated with very agitated, uh, quick to anger, short fuse, um, all the way up to, uh, <clears throat> and I had this, uh, so just to reiterate, I do not have everything figured out. I'm a work in progress like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Probably two months ago, uh, I attended a ceremony where I got an award. For some reason, my nervous system took that as a danger signal. So I was very uh, agitated. I was actually an asshole to my wife, which I never am. Uh, and I had almost like an auditory exclusion where I couldn't hear anymore. And I was eating food that I liked and I couldn't taste it. So mm. I was in this high, so sympathetic nervous, sympathetic nervous system. See, I'm talking too fast again. Fight, flight, freeze. I was very much in a fight. That's my nervous system is geared for conflict and confrontation. It likes being in that space. And for us common folk that don't know a lot about this, yeah. the nervous system is what, Controls everything in our lives. Yeah. So you have your autonomic nervous system, okay. which has your sympathetic nervous system, fight, flight, freeze. Uh, and it's all, and it's more exterior focused. So it's looking at, is there a tiger around the corner? Is there danger? Uh, and it doesn't, it's not good or bad. It just is. Right. Your parasympathetic is the balance to that. So your rest and digest reproduce where everything kind of slows. So you've got your awareness. Uh, um, externally. Externally. And then you've got your calmness. Yes. Internally. And internally. So okay. that's more internal focus. Okay. We're safe. I can eat food now. Yeah. Right. So it's that. And it's balancing those out. Okay. <clears throat> My nervous system doesn't go into where it's hypo aroused, where I'm more depressive or I want to sit in the dark, that's not where, and that's not a good or bad or right or wrong. That's just not where mine is. Mine sits in the hyper arousal, if I'm dysregulated, where I am agitated, quick to anger, all those kind of things. Okay. <clears throat> so as I was going through my career, and I didn't have any of these terms until the last couple, three years, uh, looking back now, very much in the hyper arousal a lot of the time. Okay. So again, shout out to the spouses and family members of first responders who are dealing with the ramifications of that. The ups and the downs, the at times not sure who you're going to run into when you turn yes. the corner of your house. Yeah, the inability to make decisions like that. There's that movie, The Hurt Locker, where he's looking down the cereal aisle, right? And he's like, I don't know, what, like you can't. I I totally relate with that scene right. where I'm like, I, there's times I don't know, I don't, yeah. don't care what we have for supper. Right. Like I don't want to make that decision. Right. I have to make the decision on a homicide file. Yeah. I don't want to make it here on what we're going to eat for dinner. And yeah. that sounds like I'm trivializing. I'm not. It's yeah. just, that's where my brain was at. Yeah. So that's... Okay. No, thanks for explaining that. Okay. So then about four years ago, uh, I'm like, I want to start meditating. Okay. Uh, I'm going to try that out. So I started out with Headspace app. I didn't like that one. I, it was just wasn't for me. Settle on Waking Up, uh, which is Sam Harris. I really like his kind of dry, monotone voice. It has an introductory course on there. So I started meditating about once a day, I also started listening to Tara Brock on Spotify. 
Uh, it's a little more fluffy flowery and depending on what my brain needs that day, I'll do that. And it's kind of like uh, the Seinfeld, and you're going to probably have way younger people here who are not going to know this reference, but remember Elaine Bennis and George? Elaine, they stopped having sex. George got a lot smarter. Elaine got dumber. Yeah, yeah. So if I don't meditate, <laughs> my brain, it's like it's got junk in it, and I'm it's just moving slower. I yeah. get a little bit dumber. So I have to do it at least five days a week, 10 minutes even. But what's cool about all of that is it doesn't mean you're just doing it on your couch or on your mat. Then when I'm walking out, and like when I walked in here down that alley, it was like, okay, I'm noticing the alley around me. I'm noticing the smells around me. I'm noticing the sights. A lot of smells. A lot of smells in that a lot alley. Of smells. Noticing a flower growing out of the crack. Like it just yeah. starts to kind of impact the rest of your life. Clarity. Clarity, yes. And then about three years ago, uh, and again, my wife, basically the boss of my life, yeah. in a good way. Yeah. Uh, she's. Mine, mine as well. Not your wife, my wife. Yeah. Uh, kind of does the, I think you should be a yoga teacher. I'm like, I don't be a yoga teacher. That makes no sense. About five years ago. Although you're big into yoga, though. Yeah, at that I, was, time. I was very much a practitioner. Yeah. Had no desire. Right. And then three years ago, three-ish, I'm like, I think I do want to do that, actually. I think I will. And I went in uh, March of 2020 and took my yoga teacher training. Transformational experience. Uh, me and 11 ladies from, they're probably 25 to 60 years old. Amazing human beings. Uh, it was very therapeutic in that the pandemic happened. So we got to be in person and then yeah. we had to go online and we went back and forth and it yeah. was like a Wednesday to Sunday to start. And then uh, once a month, Friday night, all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday. Wow. So you had this to look forward to yeah. 200 hours. Yeah. And then it it's just, a big commitment. It is. Yeah. And then I went down two different rabbit holes that I knew I was going to want to. One was exploring more breath work because the Wim Hof version is very activating. So it's into your sympathetic system. I'm not going to get into the minutia of it. But I found for me and for others around me in the policing realm, we're really good already being hyper aroused and activated. We need to figure out how do we use that brake pedal to bring ourselves back into the parasympathetic, into that rest and digest. So I took a number of courses along that way. And then I took some courses on trauma-informed practice. So how do I, as a yoga teacher, create a space? Because I can't come and tell you, Kyle, this is safe. You're fine. Right. You're going to go, well, I don't feel safe. Sure. Trust me, you're safe because I said you're safe. And even though I trust you, doesn't mean I'm going to believe you. 100%. So yeah. your nervous system is going to have to scout that out. And then how, so I learned ways to make the language more invitational, make sure that everybody feels welcome. All these different things. Don't walk around. Don't. I don't adjust people, all those kind of things. So that ended up being my path. What's cool about this breath stuff is, and I knew the moment I graduated. Because, sorry, because the breath, the breathing for you is, has been the most altering, the most, the, yeah. the most life-changing for you. It has. because So I, we can take yoga, we can take cold exposure, heat exposure, yeah. but the breathing has been the big one for you. It has, because you yeah. can do it anywhere, right. right? If I'm looking at it, I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm pissed off because of the meeting, I can just focus on my breath. Right. I can just make my, and it's really simple. Make my inhale a little bit longer than my usual one. Make my exhale longer than that, like yeah. an in count to a four. Yeah. Exhale to a five, and I can start to bring myself back into the into that parasympathetic space. Yeah. And a cool story about that. So I started teaching yoga right out of the gate. I started teaching at an indigenous healing lodge with federal incarcerated men, uh, and uh, separately teaching police and social agency partners. Uh, and at that indigenous healing lodge, there was an individual there. I'll just call him Larry to keep it uh, anonymous. And he came to yoga all the time. And then one day I saw him and he was super like agitated, like he's breathing really high up in his chest and in his mouth. So I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I just, I had to go to city center and uh, 
I, I can't stand going out and I get really upset and scared and and he's a really big, tall Indigenous fella, just a remarkable person. He's uh, serving a sentence for manslaughter, and I know mm. that may sound contrary yeah, to people. Some people listening are going to go, yeah. oh, he's terrible. He's yeah. a bad person. He's one of the most interesting and introspective people I've been around. So I said to him, well, can we go for a coffee, and then we just talk about the, what that looks like? Because, again, let's describe where he's at. He's not in federal He's a federal-serving inmate. Federal-serving inmate. <laughs> in a healing lodge. Yep. A healing lodge, which means he is... Soon to be released. Yes. Yes. And he can't come and go. Like, he has to get permission to yeah. leave. Yeah. But he... So, he sought permission. Just so people listening aren't being like, yeah. oh, this guy just walks around. Yeah, I didn't pull around. him out no. of the max. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, we went for a coffee uh, downtown. And he... I said, well, you want to sit in or sit out? No, I want to sit outside. Okay. So, we sit outside and he's facing the building. Behind him is a parking meter where people pay for parking. Somebody walks in behind, and he's kind of his shoulders shrug up, starts really breathing shallow in his upper chest, in and out of his mouth. I'm like, you okay? He's like, oh, bro, I don't like people behind me. I'm like, I don't either. As police, I don't like people behind me either. Mm-hmm. Very hypervigilant. I'm like, okay, but can we just return to our breath? So I'm just going to get you to bring your shoulders back down, breathe in and out of your nose, and just make that exhale a bit longer. 45 seconds tops. He's back, and he's kind of regulated, and, he, mm-hmm. and we continue our conversation. Over the next 45 minutes, probably eight or nine people come and go from behind him. I'm like, hey, you're, uh, you're doing pretty good. There's, that's not bothering you. He's like, no, it's because we're having this great conversation. I'm like, no, that's not it. It's because you took control of your system and you focus on your breath work. And that's what brought you back to this. So taking that, and let's take that individual who has a, uh, a record for violence. But if we could teach you and your kids, and we did this actually very similar thing with your staff. Yeah. If we can, all of us work on this, instead of reacting, I think Viktor Frankl's got the quote between the stimulus and the response uh, is that space, is creating that space. So if you piss me off, instead of me reacting and striking you or flipping a table or whatever, take a moment, find my breath, then I respond. It's going to make a huge difference. And those folks who are, that your folks are dealing with, with their traumatized backgrounds, have never been taught any of that. Right. right. That trauma has impacted the nervous system, that they're likely sitting in that hyper arousal and they're hit a switch and they're and they're ready. To well, go until I met you, I hadn't heard people talk about the nervous system. Yeah. Right. And trauma. And let's be honest, we've all experienced trauma. Of course. Everybody yes. has experienced trauma. Yeah. And it affects people differently yep. depending who you are. And you gave me some very basic breathing exercises uh, end of last summer. And because I went to Ireland, had yep. a very difficult experience there, leaving my family for the first time after my son had died. And it was supposed to be this great trip and it was going to be all this. And it, it turned into a very difficult time for me. And I had never had panic attacks. I'd never had anxiety attacks. And I had a few over there and they were very intense and mm-hmm. it lasted for hours. And it was... It was really hard. Then when I came home, it was really hard. And you gave me some breathing exercises for, for going to sleep and then using them anytime, really. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, and I don't use them all the time, but yep. I use them sometimes. And it was so helpful to me. It really was. And again, very basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Very basic stuff. Yep. The Relentless Podcast is brought to you by You Can Use Services, which I am very proud to be a part of. You Can Use Services is an organization that helps young people move out of harm's way and onto a path of economic independence. If you want to learn more about the incredible work that we do with some very vulnerable young people, please go to www.youcan.ca. That's www 
www.youcan.ca. Let's talk a little bit too about the cold exposure because we talked, we laughed yesterday. I've tried this a couple times in the shower. Sorry for the visual folks. Uh-huh. Um, I am so wimpy. I I talk about cold water like the the people call it ice baths, but let's just it, it's cold water exposure. Talk about that briefly and and what that does and what it's done for you. Okay, so the science is, and if you want to, and I'm not a scientist, I'm not a therapist. This is all just you my, look like a scientist. I do. With you your know what? Fancy I could, beard. Yes, I could be one on TV. Yeah, I play scientists on TV. You know, yeah, okay. and on your podcast. On my podcast. Yeah. Uh, so the science is it, the water that there. There's a whole bunch of um, research and they have certain temperatures but let's get rid of all that okay make the water cold enough that's going to suck that's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable so you know it's going to be uncomfortable yeah it doesn't feel good no it's not nice so when you first get in that's just the most of the research actually all the research has been getting into a cold tub because it's hard to regulate people in a shower like you're not going to make your subjects be naked in a shower and what temperature all that so let's let's just cold tub so getting into that cold tub the you're immediately going to go in the first five to 10 seconds into a sympathetic nervous system response. So you're going to get <gasps> and breathe. Up That's here. fight or flight. Fight or flight. You're getting into your fight or flight. And then... I would flight every time. Okay. <laughs> Between 10 to 45 seconds, yeah. you get a dump of norepinephrine and a dump of dopamine. And I think it's about a 240% increase in dopamine. Which is what? Which is your feel-good hormone in your brain. Okay. Yeah. So you're getting these. I'm, just, I'm asking <coughs> these questions yeah, yeah. for people. Like, what's dopamine? Yeah. Okay. So you would get those in a stressful circumstance along with cortisol in stress. This is a different one. It's called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, because you deliberately put yourself in there. You are testing the boundaries of your nervous system on purpose. So it wasn't, it's self-inflicted, not, not, uh, an outside force. Yeah. No one shoved you off a cliff into the cold water. That's totally different. This is you. And there's a way, uh, Andrew Huberman again has it climbing over walls. So you got over the wall to get into that tub. Yeah. You got over the wall to drop your butt into that tub. Okay. Whatever the water temperature is uncomfortable. Okay. And then at about 45 seconds, once those chemicals have hit and my wife and I, Twisted Oak Yoga and Wellness. Yeah, which we're going to put on our, our stuff okay. here when people... Have done a number of retreats and it's almost to the second at about 45 seconds. And we do it where we talk about the science behind it. Here's what all the protocols are. You don't have to if you don't want to. If you're coming to this retreat, pretty much everybody does. Get in. I'll be in your ear. Focus on your breath like we practiced because we had done a bunch of breathing stuff before. At about 45 seconds, almost universally, people calm, relax, and then they go, okay, I actually feel pretty good. And we stay there for about a minute and a half. Staying longer than that uh, impacts thermogenesis. So you start to, your body starts to shiver or activate brown fat where it starts to uh, change your metabolism to warm itself up and uh, it's fat burning. <coughs> Which is a good thing. <coughs> yes. Yeah. I don't use it for that. I use it for the psychological benefit okay. and the mental benefit. The beauty of it is most likely that's going to be the shittiest thing you got to do that day. Right. So once you've accomplished that, you can kind of go, well, that's a meeting that I got to go. That's no big deal. Like yeah. I was in the cold tub. I just sat in a cold tub for yeah. and I have one a and minute, I got a, a PV. minute and a half to three minutes. Yeah. I got a PV Mart 100 gallon in my backyard and I walk outside three, four times a week and not in the winter. Then I'll have to go back to cold showers mm-hmm. and I drop my butt in the tub. It guarantee I'll have a better day doing that. So you, when we talked yesterday, it was interesting because you've been doing this now for how many years? five seven seven years yeah. and you said every single time 
seven years in. Sucks. And you are on, on like you said, the walk down to the lake or it, the walk to the, the dub. The walk to the lake in the spring and fall, like when there's ice, I got into yeah. the water. I was The ice shelf had moved out, so I got in and put my feet underneath the ice. Yeah. The, my brain is going, what are you doing? Stop it. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And again, just as a cautionary thing, don't be doing this by yourself. And right. It, right, don't be doing breath techniques in the tub by yourself. Right, like there are protocols that you got to make sure you're safe. Right, sure. so you don't sure. just go off into a lake and cut a yeah. hole and drop in. That's yeah, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. what I'm suggesting at all. So making sure you're doing it safely, and is, people need to listen to that seriously. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent seriously. Yeah. Like you need to make sure that you are checking all the different parts of your life to make sure that this yep. is safe and even medically that this is safe. For yes. You. yes. Talk to your doctor, all those, read yeah. the book, research it and yes. then see if it's right for you. This yeah. is not me. I'm not, I'm using myself. Don't as a do an study. ice plunge this year because Scott and Kyle said you should. No. Okay. Yeah. I offer so myself as your a case study. walk down to the lake, your walk to the tub every day. You're going, what are you doing? Don't yeah, do this. Don't, don't, do, don't this. do this. This is stupid. Every day still yes. you do that. Yeah. Every day still. So it is the psychological part. It is. And then you do it. Yep. And then I feel so much better. And then you get out. Yep. Shower. And then, and then you go have a shower and you warm yourself up again. Yeah. And then people get, well, then, but you're not doing it right. Get rid of the, those logistics. That's, don't worry about that. Because then yeah. it comes back to, which we'll get into in a second here, that compassionate self-talk, which mm. we are all probably lacking. And I know I certainly am in, in our conversation yesterday. You certainly are yeah. as well. Yeah. So... They say 11 and a half, 11 minutes? Yeah, it's Dr. Suzanne Soberg. Uh, I believe she's a Dutch scientist. And I think it's 11 minutes uh, if you ain't cold. Dutch. That's what they say, Scott. Le- that's what they say. 11 minutes cold, and I think it's 60 minutes heat. Uh, so 60 minutes in sauna in a week. In a week. So in, ele- in one week, if you can do uh, a minimum of 11 minutes in a cold over the week. That's over not 11 the minutes week, in a Not yeah. a day. That's like a couple minutes here and there. That's right. So a minute and a half a day, two minutes a day, whatever yep. that looks like. You can hit that 11-minute mark in, in a week. And then if you can hit 60 minutes in a sauna in a week, yep. they say that that is ideal for All the, the f- regulation and the nervous system and, and, physical and the physical yep, and physical. the emotional and the mental and all yep. that type of stuff. Yep. If you do more, that's fine. But that's kind of if you can hit yep. those minimum marks. Right? Because again, like you said, you're doing that minute and a half for like the psychological part you go a little bit longer and it actually starts hitting your metabolism it starts doing all that type of stuff right yeah but is that so that's the physical aspect of it because you and i talk my brother-in-law and sister-in-law have been doing this and they are they're swearing by it Mm -hmm. the cold showers yep and so i said to you i said (laughs) again here's imagery for people I don't think my whole body gets hit in a shower because of my belly and all that. And you said, it's not about that. It's actually the water hitting a part of your body that then gets everything kicked in. Was what happens when you're, when you get the cold water, what does your breath do? <laughs> yeah. So there's the key. So then it's staying right there and then finding that breath again and bringing that back down to in and out of my nose and longer exhale. So it's not about the cold water actually touching all your skin. No. It's about what it's doing to your body because it's touching some of your body. Yeah, because you're still, that response is still getting those chemicals dumped yeah. without the cortisol because it's not a stress. It's a and then stress. do you do sauna as well? Yeah, I, sauna is a lot harder for me. Oh, I, I love I, sauna. I struggle with that. I love a good sauna. <clears throat> we bought a, <clears throat> for our retreats, we have a portable sauna, so it has a little firebox in it. And yeah. then uh, it's kind of like an insulated tent. Okay. And so when we do our retreats, we'll go through the science behind both. 
walk everybody through the cold tub and then the place where we uh, rising moon which is just outside Sherd park has a hot tub as well and then that let people play for an hour and a half sure. so they'll go cold hot cold hot sauna cold and everybody feels better after. it's so interesting because you go to some of these uh we used to go to fairmount fairmont hot springs in fairmont british columbia beautiful place great oh, actually one of my best buddies bob him and his family are there right now great great place and for years we went there and they've got an area inside because they've got all their hot springs outside and stuff where they've got a hot pool a cold pool a sauna and a steam yep. room and i was always i was i just remember always thinking this is you know 15 years ago why do they have all, like who cares this has been here for probably 80 years yep. so people have known about like you said earlier known about this stuff forever and ever and ever a lot of people are just getting into it now. Yep. Like the cold tub in particular, you see so many advertisements yep. for it on all the social media. Because our we are built to have our nervous system and our physical bodies challenged, mm-hmm. right? But now we sit in a 22-degree room, get into our 22-degree car, go to our 22-degree office, and then back again. And we don't actually move outside of those boundaries. Right. And again, psychologically, if I can put myself in a bit of on purpose, deliberate stress on either end of that spectrum, heat or cold, it helps me with my resilience and my day-to-day. I don't have window of tolerances de- developed by Dr. Dan Siegel. At the top of that, going above it is your hyperarousal, fight flight. Below that is your hypo, uh, kind of depressive, uh, want to sit in a dark room. Figure out how do you stay within that window of tolerance mm. when life stressors come and hit you and inevitably they're going to life is stressful by its very nature and if it wasn't it'd probably be boring as shit for the most part right so how can i prepare myself for when those inevitabilities come my way this is gonna lead us into um i point there just in case uh but this is gonna lead us into what you are doing with your new role. No, I want to talk about one other thing. Okay, first. sorry, Scott. That's okay. So all of this stuff, oh, look, he's got this all going on and he's doing all the things. February 2021, I'm at the cabin in Saskatchewan okay. and it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go skiing by myself. It's awesome. And I feel what is like a dark cloud settles over top of my head. And I, it's kind of crackly. That's a way it's pointy. It's awful. Seemingly out of nowhere. In hindsight, it was not out of nowhere. My body had been telling me, hey, Knock, knock, knock. Hey, guess what? Hey, hey, pay attention. Didn't pay attention. And then I'm significantly dysregulated February to May of 2021. And I'm crying for no reason. I'm mad for no reason. Uh, my family's like, what the fuck? What is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So I was never against therapy. I didn't have the ego like, oh, I'm, not, I'm too tough for that. No, no. But it was time. I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to go. This is, I, I'm going to retire in the relatively near future. No one checks to see how you're doing in retirement. Sure. We go through all these tests, psychological, physical, mental, all that to get hired. I want to make sure I'm leaving in as at least good a space as I possibly can. And I don't want to overstate this. Um, I wasn't suicidal, but I could see it from there. Sure. Right? So it was like, if this is my next 18 to 24 months, I don't know that I can keep doing this. You saw a darkness. I, I felt a darkness settling yeah. over top of me. So I started going to therapy. Uh, and I, it was fairly intensive at the start where I went for like double sessions and kind of hit it hard at the start. And it was EMDR. So I can... And what is EMDR? Eye movement desensitization regulation. I might be mucking okay. that up. But it essentially is either eye movements or for me, it is he puts... Uh, there's uh, cables attached to two paddles that fit into my hand. 
and they buzz intermittently. So we'll work through whatever uh, incident that I want to work through that we decide we're going to, and he kind of breaks it down to chunks. While we're doing that, these things are buzzing back and forth. Who's, are they just buzzing naturally or the, the He controls it. He, he controls, controls it. He sets right. it. And interestingly, though, with my nervous system, because he's usually like, I could just put Scott and it'll buzz the same time every time. Every session I went, I needed either faster, slower, longer, okay. whatever, okay. more intense, less intense. And what is it like? It's it's not electrocuting you. It's just no, giving it's you like, a little... almost dis- like uh, video game controllers okay. and they just vibrate. You vibrate. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we would work through that. Huge difference in my nervous system. And again, talk therapy didn't work for me. I'm not saying talk therapy doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. But I can tell you all the stories. You're going to feel worse when I leave here. I will feel the same. Right. So I needed to do something different. And I really like the term metabolize the trauma. So I have to metabolize that trauma from my nervous system. What does that mean to you? Metabolize the trauma. It means working it through. And it's almost like two analogies. One, it's stuck in my tissues. So when we EMDR'd and we had the buzzer, it moved it through. Subsequently doing meditation, I would have muscle twitches, my legs and calves and chest and really around my bracing muscles. So where my side ribs and front body mm. held a lot of tension and trauma. It's, it's so interesting to me how trauma is so physical. Yes. And until my son died, I don't think I really understood that. For sure. And there are many times now in the last two and a half years where I can physically feel my trauma. Yep. And I know that it's because of whatever I'm experiencing in that moment, the physical aspect comes out. Yep. It's interesting. And uh, that's the metabolism. That's the way that I'm relating metabolism yep. to that. And two really good books that uh, articulate that far better than you and I ever will is When the Body Says No by Gabor Mate, okay. uh, who's Canadian, and The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, if okay. that ends up in the show notes or whatever. Okay. But those are two really good ways. Glenny, kind of- I hope you're taking all these notes because he's got all be in the notes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that made a huge difference. And the, the key to the therapy was the EMDR. But changing the and way... EMDR is the eye movement. Yeah, but it's the same. It's the same. Going, it's the paddles <coughs> or the eye movement. Yeah. yeah, or it could be tapping. Like, sure. Uh, I know right. people that have done the eye movement, <coughs> yep. and they say it is unbelievable how that... Uh, it regulates you. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't fully understand it. No, I've never done it. No. And we're not going to go into the minutia of it all, but but check into it if this is something that you're interested in. Yes. In, in listeners, if that's something that you're interested in. And then two other key points of that was getting rid of the expectations I had of myself Mm. and being more self-compassionate. Yeah, we talked about this yesterday. Yeah, so I am, like many people, have a really good, loud critic who will tell me I'm a piece of shit, who will tell me I'm not good, fast, slow, all the things, and it's never positive. I have a great one. Yeah, Yeah. very loud. Yeah, very loud. For the most part, that has quieted. I haven't necessarily managed to get the positive one to say, hey, you're doing really good. Mm. I'm proud of you, all that. That one is still... Do you think that comes with age? Do you think that comes with counseling do you think that that comes with maturity or experiences that we've had because i would say like you the critic isn't there as it's still there my my inner critic is still there and quite strong and loud at times but not as much as it used to be when i was younger but like you my wife would disagree she thinks i'm pretty cocky but but like you that i mean it used to be called negative self-talk positive self-talk whatever you want to call it it isn't there a lot but here i'll uh, whatever challenge you a little bit here when you talked about being in the cold and you said well, you made some self-deprecating comment like yeah. you called yourself well, a wuss or, yeah like, something I, like I, that yeah. so you're not so let's approach that differently going okay, okay I find this overwhelming to my nervous system being okay. in the cold I'm going to start out with putting my hands under the cold water mm-hmm. for a month that's it three times a week doesn't have to, don't worry about the minute or two minutes don't right. worry about any of that shit because we do because as a society we get caught up in that don't yes. we Scott? 
where where I know that for me, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make changes in my life. Yep. I'm going to go to the gym four times a week, yep. and I'm going to eat. I'm going to intermediate fast five times a week, and I'm going to drink uh, six cups of water a day. And then whenever I screw up once, I'm like, oh, screw it! I'm a failure, yep. and I quit. Yeah, cancel all of it. Story of my life. Yeah, when everybody it comes to, to, to wellness. Yes, that's the story of my life. Yeah. So if- and so it's interesting because we want to talk about being relentless. There's an area in my life, and I would suggest a lot of people in their lives, we are not relentless about our wellness. No. And you now are. You weren't before, but you now are. Yeah, 100%. And that's, and again, I don't, I'm not here to give advice. I'm here to go, this is me as a case study. Take whatever you need. And each of the things I've talked about, and we haven't even talked about this, and we don't have to go down necessarily the rabbit hole. Indigenous spirituality has played a big part in my healing as well. Mm-hmm. Going to sweats, smudging, yeah. having conversations with uh, Indigenous folks who I adore. Yeah. It's all kind of a big circle and some things I need more than others depending on the day, yeah. right? Like I didn't cold tub this morning, but I did last night. Yeah. I'm still fine. Yeah. Uh, I haven't sauna for a while because it's too hot out and I, yeah. it's not. It's like a sauna in the studio it is, right it now. It is like a sauna yeah. in the studio right now, yeah. yeah. So looking at and then going okay so i miss meditation today it doesn't mean i have to punch myself in the face mm-hmm. i'll just do it tomorrow i don't even have to go well now tomorrow i'll do it 30 minutes but it took you a while to get to that thousand percent and and that's where i i think i need to be i'll speak for myself and i'm sure there's a lot of listeners that are listening saying they gotta do the same thing i do need to learn that and i need to not punch myself in the face so much uh-huh. and go, it's okay you missed try again tomorrow yep try again tomorrow and be just being compassionate with that. And, and it's so interesting though, Scott, sorry to cut you off, but it's, I tell people that all the time. Oh, um, yes. Don't beat yourself up. Yeah. Get up and keep going. I'm wicked, yet, wicked good at giving advice. Right. Oh, but so but yet um, I don't do it for myself. No. Part of me wanted to go, Scott, I want you to give me some challenges when we leave this podcast. And then, but then. <laughs> I'm still going to get you to a yoga class once. I know. And you know what? Or a retreat. Because we've been talking about for a year. Yeah. Retreat seems a bit intense to me. But it's not even vaguely intense. But not even intense. It's a lot. It's a big That's commitment. That's a lot. It is. That's right. But maybe I'll get there. But I I have thought, and I'm not lying to you, at least 10 or 15 times this past year, I should try this yoga thing. But it, we're not going to get into all that, my, my mobility issues, my feet, all that stuff. But you've said, you don't worry about that. You just show up. Yeah. And let's see what Once happens. Once a week. And let's see what let's happens. See what happens. And if you're like, no, this is stupid. I don't want to do this. Okay. It's not a directive. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there anything else we need to talk about? Do you want to talk about the what's coming up job? Yes. You. So you've got to, you're retiring, but EPS is going to keep you on in a, it's called a civilian role. Yeah. Uh, on a contract job. So it's very cool. Uh, very cool for me. And it's very symbiotic because it's really good for the organization as well. So this kind of wellness journey that I've been on, to use a little bit of the hippie language that I use these days, uh, is going to be a part-time position because I actually didn't want to do it full-time because I have a couple other things on the go. Uh, There's so many different organizations in the space who do programming for first responders. They struggle with getting into the machine that is uh, our organization and every organization. Uh, So they are out there, can't get in, the membership at large probably doesn't necessarily know about all the different things that are out there. This job, and I've called it a wellness navigator, will be sitting down with everybody internally going, what do you think we need for wellness? I have some ideas, but I want to kind of see what pe- folks need. And then 
expanding what I'm doing already. So I'm already teaching yoga once a week. So hopefully I'd end up doing more of that. Yeah. Uh, and then utilizing the expertise of all these other organizations to come in to the policing realm and <clears throat> deal with like equine therapy. There's a number of what equine therapy. So horses. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And there's programming. It's not just go pet the pony and then you feel better yeah, yeah. where you take, and I don't, I'm not, I don't, I've never done it. I've heard of it uh, where you walk this horse through an obstacle course and depending on how your nervous system is, the horse is going to react accordingly. So just another way to kind of get you from the internal chatter. Animals are incredible yes. with that, aren't they? Because animals can sense all that. That's, yes. It's weird. Mine can't. He's too busy catching the ball. He doesn't care. My yeah. dog. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I, it's a work in progress. Haven't even started yet. I think you said this is coming out in two weeks. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah this will come out in two or three weeks. So so by then, it'll be kind of be official. So uh, the way that I'm seeing this is that and the way that we've talked about in the past is that Edmonton Police is actually really good at being reactive to wellness. Yeah. So the way I think this position will be is I think actually Edmonton Police Service is exceptional at the wraparound during uh, with members at a critical event, whether that's an officer-involved shooting or a highly traumatic event. Yeah. Uh, we have a reintegration unit that is world-renowned. We have yeah. employee family assistance people who just carry the weight of the world on them. They're so good at the acute. Yeah. The chronic, outside of therapy, we're not really good at. Okay. Uh, I don't think anybody's really good at that. So I we have agree. A, we have a large number of folks who are off for various reasons. We do nothing in the proactive, nor to my knowledge is anybody else. So I think that's where this position sits right. in the proactive space right. where we can go, okay, let's try meditation, cold, equine. Well, essentially what you want to do is, is link up uh, people in the community or even people within the mm -hmm. organization yeah. that do all this. Link them up with people within the organization to start having them exposed to more of this stuff and hopefully being able to experience this stuff. Yes. A wellness navigator. Yeah. You're going to be facilitating a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And when I say facilitating, it's the connecting. Yeah. You're going to help connect dots. Yeah. And right? I think this will be my one-on-one. -on -one. There'll be still one-on-one -on -one small group things, sure. whether it's doing some, bre like I did with your folks at sure. UCAN. Sure. Here's some breathing techniques that are really simple. Here's my story, again, as a case study. Sure. Uh, and then... But then expanding it out to partner agencies. Yeah, too. because I think, I think what's cool is that you came in and you were there for forty-five minutes and taught us some very basic breathing activities that some of my staff have said they're using. Like, and it's it's simple, uh -huh. and it was done so quickly, so well. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. I got the it's best compliment cool. ever. We were my wife and I were doing uh, that same type of uh, programming at a conference, and this lady said, "I love the unapod." unapologetic way you both presented mm. like it's just here's what it is yeah we didn't invent this this again is uh indigenous and yogic in its nature it, we are and i'm not co-opting it saying it's scott's whatever breathing technique but they're so simple because they've worked for the entirety of human life this is what i love about you scotty to hottie jones is that and we don't have time now uh, i would love to get into a conversation Actually, in two sentences, can you tell me <laughs> how policing has changed from 1993 to 2023? I'm not talking about all the, um, especially in the last five years. I'm talking about how you see policing has changed for the better since 1993 to 2023. I would suggest that policing hasn't changed that much. Mm. Where it has changed for the better is these types of partnerships mm. where we rely on the skill set of partner agencies and we have quietly done that forever and there's i i can't start naming partners because i'm going to forget somebody yeah but in my own division 
we have so many amazing partnerships within that space. So I think a heavier reliance on that uh, is what's changed. But a call is a call is a call for the most part. I think we have a ways to go with being more intentional with teaching people what trauma is, how does trauma show itself, how does trauma manifest itself in ourselves as a police officer and a first responder, as well as the folks that we're dealing with. I think we need to do way more of that. Uh, We can maybe call ourselves trauma-informed. I don't think we actually are yet. So there's work to be done, but at least while these conversations are happening that hopefully kind of move things into the future. We are going to do the relentless quiz. All right. You've listened to the podcast. I have. You've heard the quiz. I have. You've probably dreamt about actually doing the quiz. I took notes and I pondered and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is a big deal for you. Yep. Yeah. Hopefully I pass. We're going to find out. Yep. Scientifically put together. Ton of money put into this. Yep. Scott Jones, podcaster, Uh yoga instructor, police officer, good human being, great beard. Fruits or vegetables? Fruit. That was very fast. Yeah. You have really thought about this. I have this. this. <clears throat> City or countryside? Countryside. Okay. This is, listen, I like a little conversation. You're going really quick. Okay. Um, dirty bathroom or dirty kitchen? This one I actually did ponder because they're both so disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I would pick one. I would have to go with a dirty kitchen. I'd rather have that. Okay. Dirty bathroom is just <clears throat> offensive. Okay. Salty or sweet? Sweet. I just had a piece of cake. Before breakfast. I got here, mm-hmm. I had already had breakfast. <coughs> you're so fit too. Yeah. So everyone knows if you're not watching this, he's very fit. Mm-hmm. Very fit. A nice body. Thank you so much. Uh, morning or night? Morning. And that's changed over the course of my life. I used to like shift work didn't really bother me when I was younger. Okay. Uh, now, uh, if I'm staying up past 11, shit's gone sideways. That's okay. not good. Okay. Yeah. And what time do you get up every day? Uh, for work, I get up around 5, 5.30. When I'm on holidays, because I would just spent three weeks at the lake, my normal sleep pattern is actually sleeping by 10.30 or 11, up around 7.30 or 8. Okay. Okay. Favorite comedy movie? Oh, that's a good one. I forgot about that. Wedding Singer or Anchorman? Oh, nice. Nice. I really think that you can tell a lot about a person by what their favorite comedy movies mm-hmm. are. Those are two but classics. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, we just watched. That's another oh, that's exceptional a great one. one too. Yeah. yeah. yeah that, to be honest with you, that doesn't compare to Wedding Singer or Anchorman. Like it's good. Yeah. But it's yeah. Um, big party or small gathering? Small gathering. Yeah. Yeah. By yeah. by a by a country mile. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not interested in big You're not groups. Big nope. party. Nope. Phone in the bathroom or no phone in the bathroom? Oh, phone. Anybody who says they're not is lying. Thank you so much for the honesty. Yep. You've had so many liars on here. Yeah, totally. Not a lot. Not a lot of you, though. Favorite love song of all time? I'm not a huge... I actually weirdly have an affinity for sad songs, and my wife would be like, why are you listening to this? Because I've really... Again, we've been together forever, so I haven't had those breakup sad stuff. But I'll go with Groovy Kind of Love by Phil Collins, because that was our wedding song. Okay. It's a good tune. Yep. It's a good tune. I think the first Phil Collins song on here, too. Nice. I think I know the answer to this, or maybe I don't. Cake or pie? Cake. Yeah, because you just had some this morning. Yep. Last question, Scott. Describe your relentless podcast experience in four words. I really loved it. I really love you. I really love you too. This has been good, man. Yep. Um, I appreciate your vulnerability. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate what you've been for me in my life personally. 
in the last year and a half. We really have become very close uh-huh. in a short amount of time. I appreciate what you've done for our community because I think that you've been a really exceptionally good cop. I think Thank that you, you care about people. I think that you care about the people that you interact with. doesn't mm-hmm. matter if they're part of your team or somebody that you're arresting. Yep. I know this about you because I've heard many stories as well. Um, you've contributed to Edmonton in a huge way. And I know that you're not big into accolades and nope. getting big thank yous and pats on the back. But let me tell you, as a just a normal citizen, I thank you. I thank you for what you've done. And I appreciate it. And uh, I really think Edmonton Police Service is going to miss you. But I do believe that what you're going to do now in the future is going to also have a huge impact on Edmonton Police Service, which will then indirectly have an impact on folks like me. So keep going. Keep doing it. Where can we find some of the stuff you're doing? Uh, So, for example, Twisted Oak. Where do we find all that? Twisted Oak on Instagram. Okay. Uh, Twisted Oak Yoga and Wellness. My wife, that's her. She managed it. Uh, Twisted Oak Yoga and Wellness dot offering tree dot com, I believe, well, is our handle. Is our website? Okay. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Scott Jones, and you can see this bald mug. Yeah. And Scott Jones eighteen fifty nine is my own Instagram account. Okay. Uh, we actually have a um, retreat coming up on September seventeenth. That's about three quarters sold out. It's okay. ninety nine bucks. So it's we don't do it to make money. We just basically so we can cover the cost of the rental and the food. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we do probably four to five per year. So cool. if that's something. And then we have a video library that is pay whatever you want. It's a sliding scale. So yeah. if folks uh, don't want to pay anything, do it for free. Yeah. If you want to pay something, because people sometimes want to pay, yeah. uh, do that. But we have a video library on there as well that we keep talking about updating that we will. So. Yeah. And then your podcast can be found on all the different platforms, which is Just Us on Justice. Uh-huh. Um, and other things and other things yep. with scott and dan jones because yep. your brother uh has a lot of things to say he does we are a police family that clearly had no other skills <laughs> so that's all that's the only thing we could do and do you think danny's gonna be jealous that you're on here before a thousand percent oh then yeah. let's high five yeah, on high that five. too bad danny <laughs> <laughs> folks you can find you can use services at www.youcan.ca that's y-o-u-c-a-n.ca Please check us out. You're going to find out about our programs, about the work that we do, about our Comedy Nights fundraiser, about the merchandise, relentless merchandise you can buy. And uh, Scotty, we just appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. Thank you. This series is proudly produced by the team at Road 55. Road 55 creates content that connects. For more information, check our website, www.road55.ca.